0: For all of the talk about being evidence-based, I mean, there's some things that we do that are more out of tradition than being truly evidence-based. I mean, after all, I mean, we're healthcare professionals, right? We're medical scientists, whether we're physicians or nurses or nurse practitioners or certified nurse midwives, uh, medical assistants, it doesn't matter. I mean, we've trained to follow the evidence. But sometimes some of those things don't actually translate to what we're doing to our patients. And one of those examples has to do with urine spot tests as part of routine OB care. Do you do it? Does your office do it? Where did that come from? And is that evidence-based? I want to thank BC, who's one of our podcast family listeners, who sent me this Facebook message about urine spot checks, dipsticks, as part of routine OB care. Uh, Where did that come from, And, and is it okay to not do that? It's interesting how we question clinical practice, and if you follow the evidence... That's actually not evidence-based at all. We're going to get into the history about urine dipsticks for routine OB care, and then we're going to give some data reviews, and then we're going to end with some professional society guidance about the value, the clinical utility of spot urine dipstick checks as part of routine OB care. BC, thank you for your question. It's a good one. We're going to get to the bottom of it in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Okay, so the practice of doing routine, repetitive urine dipsticks, meaning at each prenatal visit, was actually introduced into prenatal care back in the 1960s and the 1970s. The idea was to act as an early screen for bacteriuria, as an early screen for proteinuria as a way to look for preeclampsia, and of course as a way to look for glycosuria as an early screen for GDM. But that was based more on expert opinion rather than clinical trials. The utility of urine dipstick testing in pregnant women has been under debate for years with studies suggesting minimal use in asymptomatic and otherwise healthy patients. We said that this was mainly out of tradition, but is this evidence-based now? And if it's not evidence-based to do this with every visit with every patient, then when should it be done? And what does ACOG have to say about this? Well, it turns out ACOG actually says a lot, and you'll want to stay tuned for that as we answer that question at the end of the episode. But before we get to these guidelines from national organizations and even what ACOG has to say, let's take a look at each of these three items in more detail. So let's take a look at each of these three items that urine dipsticks were supposed to help screen for. So let's tackle bacteria, proteinuria, and glucosuria. (laughs) Asymptomatic bacteria, or ASB occurs in 2 to 7% of all pregnant women and of those as many as 20 to 35% will develop symptomatic cystitis or pyelonephritis if untreated but the risk is reduced by 70 to 80% with treatment. ASB is not only associated with polynephritis, but it's also associated with some adverse pregnancy outcomes, like preterm birth and low birth weight infants. Now, to be clear, not all the data shows that, but the predominance of data does show this association between preterm birth and low birth weight. So, ASB diagnosis and treatment is very important in pregnancy. And even meta-analysis, even though they tend to be of low-quality evidence, do suggest benefit in the early identification and treatment of ASB as a way to reduce the incidence of pilo and low birth weight infants. So yes, it's important to look for ASB in pregnancy, but the catch is how to look for it. This is part of standard prenatal care to look for ASB, especially early on in the first prenatal visits, assuming, hopefully, that they're in the first or early second trimester. However, the best way to check for this is by clean-catch urine culture, not a urine dipstick. Okay, so here's a clinical pearl. The recommendation of the Infectious Disease Society of America, or the IDSA, is to screen all pregnant women for asymptomatic bacteria by culture at least once in early pregnancy, hopefully by 12 to 16 weeks, so you can identify it early on and change course for the pregnancy. I mean, it's one thing if she first presents at 36 weeks and you need to do a culture then, but she's almost done with the pregnancy overall. So ideally, it's done between 12 to 16 weeks. Screening by culture may be considered more frequently in those with uncontrolled diabetes or a history of recurrent UTIs or some urological anomaly. And it's not just the IDSA here. The U.S. Preventive Service Task Force has also weighed in here regarding ASB screening in pregnancy. Their recommendation was published in September 2019 in JAMA Network, and that title is, quote, Screening for Asymptomatic Bacteria in Adults, a U.S. Preventive Service Task Force recommendation, end quote. The U.S. Preventive Service Task Force concluded after review of the data that with moderate certainty, screening for and treatment of asymptomatic bacteria in pregnant women has moderate net benefits in reducing perinatal complications. The US PSTF recommends screening pregnant patients for asymptomatic bacteria using urine culture, not urine dipsticks. Now, I think I need to clarify this. When I say urine dipstick, yes, I mean the traditional a cup, and then literally put the little dipstick in and then read it against the little reader. That's fine. But this also applies to dip urine analysis. It's the same concept here. Okay, we're talking about anything that's not urine culture. So whether they a cup, and then you stick the little dipstick in and then read it against the box, or literally just do it by an automated system for a dip UA, it's the same value. Okay, it's the same thing. The idea is, if you're looking for ASB, it should really be done by urine culture. And lastly, as we wrap up this section on ASB by urine dipstick test, here's the evidence-based answer as published in the journal Evidence-Based Practice. Yeah, there's a journal called Evidence-Based Practice. Actually, it's pretty good. This was published in May of 2018. The author was Colleen Zimmerman. Zimmerman writes, quote, urine dipstick testing for nitrates or leukocytes in pregnant women is highly specific for asymptomatic bacteria, but it has a sensitivity of only 73%, making it a poor screening test. This was based on meta-analysis of limited-quality diagnostic studies. All pregnant women should be screened for asymptomatic bacteria using a urine culture, ideally between 12 and 16 weeks gestation, to reduce polynephritis and low birth weight. End quote. All right, now let's cover proteinuria. Remember, we're talking about the efficacy, the utility of checking for urine dips for urine protein. Again, great concept. My goodness, I'm going to catch proteinuria early and then I'm going to diagnose preeclampsia. Actually, it should be the other way around. First, they get a diagnosis of hypertension, and then they should have a formal assessment for proteinuria. Urine protein excretion rises in normal pregnancy from the non-pregnant level of about 100 milligrams per day to about 150 to 200 milligrams per day in the third trimester. Yeah, some degree of proteinuria is completely normal in pregnancy. The U.S. Preventive Service Task Force has statements on this, It states that, quote, adequate evidence has been found against screening for preeclampsia with point-of-care urine dipsticks in asymptomatic patients as this has not been shown to have any diagnostic accuracy for detecting proteinuria, end quote. Now, I don't want to do the proverbial throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're going to get into this. We need to explain that a little bit more. Remember, this was talking about routine screening, just checking everybody who's otherwise asymptomatic, and that can include even those who are normotensive. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense, right? I mean, you're just going to find values that don't mean anything, but we're going to get into where it probably does make sense to check for urine protein in just a little bit. Anyway, the reference that we just quoted was from the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force statement published in JAMA in May of 2017. Both the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force and ACOG both say that the best laboratory way to confirm proteinuria to make the diagnosis of preeclampsia are either a urine protein to creatinine ratio as first line because it's quicker and it doesn't take as long as 24 hours like the alternative, which is a 24-hour urine collection. But both organizations state that routine screening for preeclampsia using a urine dip for protein in low-risk women is just not recommended. A systematic review and meta-analysis looked at the accuracy of urine dipstick tests for preeclampsia diagnosis. This was published in Pregnancy Hypertension in April 2022. The full title of this recent publication was Diagnostic Accuracy of Urine Dipstick Tests for Proteinuria in Pregnant Women Suspected of Having Preeclampsia, a systematic review and meta-analysis. The results of this study did not find that urine dipsticks were very sensitive for the diagnosis of preeclampsia. But nonetheless, there can be still a time where this has some potential use. So like I said just a moment ago, it's not like there's never a place for this because it can be helpful when there's nothing else available. That's exactly the statement from the International Society for the Study of Hypertension in Pregnancy. They state that urine dipsticks may still have a role in some settings, especially those that have limited laboratory facilities. Their exact statement is, quote, when neither 24-hour urine nor protein-to-creatinine ratio measures for proteinuria can be readily available, urine dipstick testing can provide reasonable assessment of true proteinuria, but it has to be at that cutoff greater than 1 gram per liter, which translates to a urine dip of 2 plus or more. And that's why it's that 2 plus or more that's part of the criteria that ACOG still uses as a urine dipstick, But remember, we're talking about routine, everybody gets a urine dip, just looking for proteinuria, there's no place for that. But if the patient is hypertensive, and especially if she's symptomatic, then getting a quick urine dip, and if it measures 2 plus or more, then that carries more positive predictive value than just doing routine universal urine dips for protein, especially in the low-risk and asymptomatic patient population. Now remember, this is a little bit different than the ASB discussion we just had. For ASB, urine culture is just the way to go. But there is a role for urine dips for protein, but not as universal. universal screen at every visit, only for those who are hypertensive, and definitely for those who are symptomatic, and only at a cutoff value of 2 plus or more. Remember, that's still what the ACOG uses as one of the possible criteria to diagnose proteinuria. It's either urine protein to creatinine ratio, or 24-hour urine collection, which are both of those are preferred, although most people do the protein to creatinine ratio because it's faster, or the 2 plus urine on a dip. Boy, I think we've beat that one to death, but let's just wrap this up quickly. Per ACOG regarding proteinuria in the absence of both risk factors and or symptoms of preeclampsia, there has not been shown to be a benefit in routine urine dipstick testing for women at low risk just looking for proteinuria. Alright, that leaves us with glucosuria. Glucosuria is more common during pregnancy because of the lowering of the renal threshold for glucose excretion. The increase in the GFR delivers an overwhelming glucose load to the renal tubules. Reabsorption, which is normally complete, is therefore hindered because of this massive load of filtering glucose that's just overwhelming the natural ability to resorb. In other words, this is completely normal and physiologic. A loss of 140 milligrams of glucose per day is the usual upper limit for pregnancy. But losses may reach up to 1 gram per day, in the third trimester. There's also some diurnal variation in glucosuria. It's less evident in the morning and most evident after meals. So as you can see, there's a normal prevalence of glucosuria in pregnancy, at least to some degree. And this can actually start by the end of the first trimester, beginning of the second trimester. So urine dipsticks are a terrible screening tool for GDM or diabetes mellitus in general. Now here's a clinical pearl. Published data has confirmed that the incidence of glucosuria during pregnancy is not increased in those women with gestational diabetes when compared to those with normal glucose screening values. So unlike the issue with proteinuria, where there may be a role for urine dipstick testing, there really is no place for urine dipstick testing to look for glucosuria in pregnancy. All right, so we've covered ASB, proteinuria, and glucosuria. But now let's take a look at urine dipsticks in general and what professional organizations and ACOG have to say about the practice of doing routine urine dips with every visit. Interestingly, this was just published in 2022 in the journal from BMJ called Evidence-Based Medicine. These authors collected lots of data from their group practice to assess the utility of doing every visit routine urine dipstick tests and here's what they concluded quote there was minimal benefit of using routine point-of-care dipsticks in low-risk pregnant women we identified two additional women that's 1.5 percent who were diagnosed with asymptomatic bacteria but that yield was only 1.5 percent in addition the use of -of point-of-care urine dipsticks incurred additional costs to the clinic These results reinforce the recommendation against using routine point-of-care urine dipsticks to screen low-risk pregnant women. Clinics still using point-of-care urine dipsticks routinely to screen low-risk pregnant women should evaluate whether this is beneficial to their practice. But it's not just that group of authors. I mean, ACOG also has an endorsed stance here as well. In terms of routine screening at each prenatal visit, the ACOG states that, quote, In the absence of risk factors for a urinary tract infection, renal disease, or preeclampsia, and in the absence of symptoms of a UTI, hypertension, or unusual edema, the routine urine dipsticks for a protein can be omitted, end quote. That content comes directly from the ACOG and the American Academy of Pediatrics Guideline for Perinatal Care, 8th edition, published in 2017. ACOG has also covered this in the OBGYN CREOG curriculum. Remember, that's the Council of Residency Education for OBGYN. In March of 2017, under ACOG's CREOG section on the topic, quote, Usefulness of Urine Protein Dipstick Testing as Part of Routine Prenatal Care, end quote, the commentary states the following, quote, Eliminating routine urine dipstick testing can be considered an effort to improve healthcare value by increasing both factors of quality and patient experience. Improvements in quality is demonstrated by the fact that urine dipstick testing is not considered standard of care by ACOG or the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force. This testing is both unnecessary and time-consuming, and the high false positive rate may lead to added stress on the patient that could be reasonably avoided. Healthcare staff would also benefit from eliminating routine urine dipstick testing as nurses or medical assistants spend a notable amount of time throughout the day administering specimen cups, collecting urine samples, and screening for protein and disposing of waste, end quote. All right, podcast family, we have covered routine urine dipstick tests with every patient at every visit just not evidence-based. It's terrible for ASB detection, has no place for glucose urea testing, and maybe with the exception of proteinuria, in the appropriate patient using a dipstick value of 2 plus or more, maybe that's got some value, but it's secondary to urine protein to creatinine ratio or the more traditional 24-hour urine protein. BC, thank you for your question. It was a good one. We went to work right away to get this out because I thought, yeah, we couldn't wait. This is actually a pretty good topic. As always, we appreciate all of our listeners. We thank you for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you in another episode of Clinical Pearls.